The Gospel reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, 1-12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. The Gospel of Christ. Uh, Okay, so have you ever been excited about something, but maybe you're just excited about that thing because everyone else is excited about that thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of? Okay, let me give you an example to see if this might help. Um, So my son Campbell plays soccer, and soccer is you either understand soccer or you do not understand soccer, right? Soccer does not have like a, like a middle ground. There's no purgatory of soccer. Um, that's a weird way to say that. Uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's no middle ground of soccer, right? So you either get it or you don't get it. And I am in the not getting it camp. And so here's what happens for me is I am so excited about Campbell and I'm so excited about his team. And when I know which goal is his, I'm going to scream really loud at a goal. Other than that, I am waiting to see what the other parents do. And then I just get so excited about it. I'm not a hundred percent sure what's happened, but it's great. And we're fired up about it, so I'm yelling, and I'm very excited. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? Uh, so I, went to, I worked at Blackberry Farm in college, and so they, what happened is every night at dinner, um, they would bring out whatever special thing we were serving. They would bring it to the people that had to serve it so that we could taste this food before we served it to people so we could talk about how amazing it was. It was a really difficult job. Um, and so, so, but this was like new territory for me. Before I worked at Blackberry, the only fish I had ever had was from Shoney's or Long John Silver's. So I go like from there to this, while I was there, they one number one small hotel in uh, earth, like on planet earth. So it was a big adjustment for me. Um, I once got in trouble for saying the Waffle House is my favorite restaurant. I was instructed Blackberry Farm is my favorite restaurant. So if you ask, Blackberry Farm is my favorite restaurant still. Um, So, okay, so they would bring these foods. So one day they bring these little cups of macaroni and cheese in. And um, so I learned at these dinners that people would gasp when they brought stuff in. And that's like, oh, we're excited about this. Like, this sounds great. So they brought in this little mac and cheese. And I like mac and cheese. It's great. And they said, this is truffled macaroni and cheese. And everyone gasped. So I was like, oh, this is great. And I didn't know, I didn't know what a truffle was. I thought that was the name of the guy that prepared it. (laughs) 
And so I'm like, this is fantastic. And so I'm eating this and I loved it. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it. It was delicious. What happened later after I found out what a truffle was and had it a second time was it got better because I found out that a little pig had gone into the magical forest to find a magical mushroom that then they paid thousands of dollars for and it ended up in my tiny little bowl. I didn't understand why the bowls were so tiny until I realized that the little pigs had to go get the little mushrooms and then they turned and that's a truffle. And so I enjoyed it like so much more and so much deeper when I knew what it was, when I knew what I was enjoying. I think for some of us, Easter can be a little bit like those tiny little bowls of macaroni and cheese at the risk of a crazy transition. Um, It can be a little bit like that. I want to read a quote to you by the absolutely wonderful Bishop N.T. Wright. He says this, and N.T. Wright, he's particularly brilliant when it comes to the resurrection. I think he does it better than anyone else alive. He says this, my friends, we are Easter people. We are Easter people. We stand on resurrection ground. Easter is not only our greatest party. Easter is the only reason we are here at all. So why, when we get to Easter Day, do we not celebrate wildly and lavishly and gloriously at great length and with studied disregard for normal propriety? That's British for why don't we go wild? We should meet regularly for Easter parties. We should drink champagne at breakfast. We should renew baptismal vows and splash water all over the place. And we should sing and we should dance and we should blow trumpets and put out banners in the streets. We should invite the homeless to parties and we should go around town doing random acts of generosity and celebration. We should be doing things which would make our sober and serious neighbors say, what is the meaning of this outrageous party? I love this. I agree with the bishop. Easter is cause for great celebration. Do you know in the church calendar, Easter is 50 days It's 50 days. Lent is 40 days and Easter is 50 days. 10 extra days. People say God's not fun. He is so fun. (laughs) 50 days. That's how long we're supposed to celebrate this. Not one day, 50. I love and agree with this quote, but here's my question. Did anyone have champagne for breakfast? Or did you dance in the streets this morning on your way to church? I think sometimes Easter can be a little bit of the thing that that everybody around us is really fired up about and that we get excited about because the people around us are really excited about it. And so we, we go buy new clothes and the eggs and the bunnies and the brunch and all of these great things about Easter. Or maybe it's something uh, that maybe for some of us, it's something that we have really prepared for in the past. Or maybe even this year, we've spent weeks fasting, trying to intentionally turn our eyes toward today. Uh, But somehow, even in all of that, the, the shine has worn off a little bit. That Easter is the thing that you're excited about because everyone around you is excited about. But maybe it's not the thing that you are dancing in the streets about today. The shine has worn off a little bit and you forgot to buy champagne. I think it matters that we know and are reminded often of what the excitement around the resurrection is truly all about. Uh, Here at Springbrook, we spent Lent looking uh, and reading about stories of wilderness, people taken from their regular lives out into a wild or a desert or a mountain in order to search for a deeper understanding of God or for the presence of the one who made them. So we spent our fasting season in the wilderness, but now it's Easter. 
And so we feast. That's what we do. We feast. It matters that we know and remember what the celebrating is all about. So this year we spent a lot of time uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and so it's good to be back with Luke this morning. Thanks, Kyle, for reading it. Uh, Luke tells us that early in the morning, some women brought spices to the tomb of Jesus. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna, and the other women. I feel really bad for them. They got the short end of the stick here, right? Mary, Mary, Joanna, and whoever the rest of you were. Um, So they show up at the tomb early in the morning. In Mark's gospel, he tells us that these women watched Jesus' last breaths on the cross just days before they show up on this morning. So here they are, early in the morning on a new day, coming to grieve and to pay their respects to the one that they loved, the one who loved them, the one who was dead. And it's here at this tomb early in the morning that the wild and unexpected happens because when Jesus is involved, the wild and the unexpected always happens. Frederick Buechner, who's a favorite of mine, he says, in the language of resurrection, the worst thing is no longer the final thing. The worst thing is not the final thing. And so these women who are mourning who are, uh, they, they show up at this tomb and they're mourning and they learn from two men who are wearing sparkly clothes that the death of Jesus is not the final word of Jesus. I love what the men say. It's such a good sentence. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? They say, women, Why did you think he would be here? Did he not tell you that death would not be the final word on his life? And then they remember, like, huh, that's right. He told us. We just didn't believe him. That's what I think they said. I added that part in. They remember. It's like a light bulb comes off. And then the next thing, I love the next thing that happened. Luke tells us they race to tell the disciples. They start running They realize that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And they take off running. And what happens is women of mourning become women of resurrection. In that moment, they become Easter people. Easter people. And these girls go tell the boys what they've heard. And it sounds bananas. Right? Of course it did. It does. The resurrection sounds completely bonkers when you think about it. These women, they ran and told a group of people who had watched a man die and be buried that he was alive three days later. It was nuts. It was nuts that day, and it was, it's still nuts today. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, that preaching the cross is, is foolish. It sounds foolish. But here we have these women and they're preaching the resurrection and it sounds beyond foolish. Luke tells us it sounded like nonsense. And yet we're still talking about it, right? That's why you showed up here. We're still talking about it bigger than that. We're not just talking about it. The resurrection of Jesus is what the entire Christian faith hinges on. The whole thing. Paul says later in that letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, he says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is useless and we are stuck in our own darkness. Bold words. 
If the resurrection isn't true, then dark and death get the final word for Jesus and they get the final word for us. For followers of Jesus, the the resurrection isn't something that we get to debate. We celebrate Easter and we drink champagne for breakfast and we dance in streets because we believe it's actually true. We believe it's true. We are here. We show up uh, to worship Jesus because we believe and proclaim that Jesus actually lived and he actually died and then he actually came back to life. Our whole faith hinges on it. Uh, Paul goes on in that same letter in 1 Corinthians to say, if the resurrection isn't true, then Christians are the most pitiful people on the planet. Look it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. That's your life verse. If this is not true, then you are the most pitiful person on the planet. Pitied more than anyone else on earth if the resurrection didn't happen. There there are a lot of faiths and a lot of beliefs um, out there. Uh, The world is full of people who worship and believe or follow martyrs who died for their cause. But that isn't what Christians claim to believe. That isn't the claim of the follower of Jesus. We claim to believe in a God who died and who rose again, who defeated death because God is making all things new. That is our claim. The God who defeated death in order to put the world back to right. That's so important. It's important to us as followers of Jesus, but not just to us, it's, it's important to the world. The resurrection is so important to the world. It's important and it's also very confusing. I heard someone say it like this recently and, and it was so helpful. They said this. They said, the importance of the resurrection is hard for us as humans to understand because we are a disposable-minded people, right? That's true about us. We, uh, we allow something to serve its purpose and then we throw it away. You do this, don't you? Right? Uh, like you don't reuse Ziploc baggies, do you? Oh my gosh, people really do. In the first service, I saw their eyes. There are people. Okay, 99% of people do not reuse Ziploc baggies. (laughs) But some of you do. You wash those, you wash them out, put them on a drying rack, save them for later. I don't know how you rewash them. We throw them away because they serve their purpose and then we scrap them, right? That's how it works. We are a disposable people. We do this, we do this with things, we do this with activities, with ideas, we do this with human beings. We are disposable-minded people. And I think we have, we often have this, this tendency uh, to see God the same way we see ourselves in loads of ways, but this is just one. And so what we do is we see a disposable-minded God. A God who, who uses something in order to serve a purpose and then scraps it in lieu of the next great thing that he's going to use to serve some other purpose. But the resurrection of Jesus tells a, a completely different story than that. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that we believe in a God who is not a disposable God, who is going to scrap the entire world and then start over. That isn't the story of the resurrection. Uh, A really brilliant guy named Jürgen Moltmann says this. He says, the resurrection isn't opium meant to soothe us while we wait for heaven. It isn't just this nice little story that keeps us satisfied until heaven comes. He calls the resurrection energy for a rebirth of this life. He says that the hope of the resurrection doesn't point to another world, but to the redemption of our world. Resurrection means that God is not a disposable people who will scrap this world and then start over with a new one. Some of you believe that. Some of you have been taught that your entire lives. I I was taught it growing up. 
I was taught this idea that that, uh, we live here on earth until I guess God gets mad enough and then he blows the whole thing up and we go to heaven. Or we like get sucked up into the airplanes if you read that book. (laughs) We listened to a book on tape in Sunday school. Um, That's what we believe. But, But that story, the God getting mad, blowing up the world, sucking us up into some other world is not the story of the scriptures. It just isn't. The story of the scriptures is a story of resurrection. From beginning to end, it is a story of broken things being put back together, dark things becoming light, and dead things becoming alive. This is the arc of the story of the scriptures. And that matters because it means that Jesus did not just tell us how to die. That isn't all he's doing. He didn't just tell us how to die and die and get out of this world uh, that's going to hell in a handbasket anyway. That's not what he taught us. Resurrection means that Jesus has taught us how to live. He has offered us a new way to live. Resurrection, it injects us with purpose and then it sends us out into the world. That's what it does. The story of Jesus walking out of a grave is not just that Jesus is alive and that one day we get to go join him. The story of resurrection is that Jesus is alive so new creation has begun and we've got a job to do. That's the story it tells. It's not just good news about what God will do one day and there is good news about what God will do one day. It is also good news for what God is doing today. Today. So being an Easter person means that we are people who practice and believe in new days. And we are people who practice and believe in fresh starts. We are people who don't just see what is broken in this world and then panic over it, but people who believe that it is our job and our vision uh, to have the vision and imagination about how to join God in putting things back together. Resurrection means having eyes to see beyond death and into life. The truth is, there's a lot of darkness in this world. There's darkness and there's brokenness and there is death all around us. And there has been since almost the very beginning. It has always felt like this world was going to hell in a handbasket. That's not a new thought just in 2019, though I'm convinced it is sometimes. What resurrection does, though, in in the middle of this thought that things are just going awful, what resurrection does is it gives us new eyes to see an old thought. Resurrection tells us that those feelings of panic that rise up in us and convince us that things are only awful in this world and that there's nothing we can do about it, so like hunker down and wait for heaven. Resurrection tells us that those feelings do not tell the whole story. They do not tell the whole story. Our language as followers of Jesus, our job as Christians is to live as if Jesus actually defeated death. To live like Jesus actually walked out on death. It means that we have to learn to see what lies beyond the scary and beyond the broken and beyond the busted that is so much right in front of us. We, we are supposed to learn to be people crying out that the final word on this world is not death. It is not what we see or read in the news. And that's not the final word. Here's the thing, horrible things exist and they wreak havoc all over the world. Have you read the news this morning? The bombings in Sri Lanka of 140 people that just went to church or stayed in a hotel and they were bombed. 
just for being there. But the truth is, resurrection tells us that that's not the final word on their life or the final word on this world. The final word on this world is not classism, it is not racism or sexism or religious injustice or violence or suffering or bombs or human trafficking or hunger or depression or anxiety or darkness. Those things, they are so real and their effects are so real and the pain of them is so real. They are the worst things, but they are not the final things. When we live like they're the final things, when we live like the truest and loudest word of this world is darkness and brokenness, when, when we allow the panic and anxiety that that darkness produces in our lives, we allow that to run our lives, we do not live as resurrection people. We do not live as people who believe that Jesus actually walked out of the grave. I want to quote N.T. Wright one more time. I told the early service, I, uh, I keep trying to say his words in my own words, but I can't because he's so smart. So here you go. The message of the resurrection is this. It is that this world matters. If Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, then Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. Easter means that in a world where injustice and violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we, as his followers, will work and plan with all of the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them. Resurrection means that our task as resurrection people, as Easter people, is to live our lives working and planning with all the energy of God to enter into what is difficult and painful in this world and to find a way to bear hope there to find a way to bear hope there, to be the kind of person who sees what's broken and leans in and rebuilds houses or relationships or policies or cities or or whatever it is for the good of humanity because we believe this world matters. We're the people who are supposed to believe that this world matters, that this world, uh, that dead isn't the final word for this world and broken isn't the final word for this world and darkness does not get the final word for this world. I paused for amen this morning and nobody did it either. (laughs) Amen myself. (laughs) Our language as followers of Jesus is light. Our language is hope and our language is life. And so we pop champagne and we dance in the streets because we believe that it is our job to cry out that God has not given up on his people. He has not given up on his people. We are the people who live lives that declare that we believe the resurrection, that we believe in the God who puts things back to right. Here's another way to say it. Recently, I heard someone, they were quoting a writer and the writer uh, was talking about fear and the creative process, but uh, she was really talking about resurrection. I don't think she knew it. Here's what she said. This writer said, fear does not get to drive the car. It can ride in the back seat, but it does not get to drive or control the map or pick the music. (laughs) The good quote. Resurrection means that even though there is pain and death and broken and dark, we're not pretending those things don't exist. They exist. Even though those things exist in this world, they do not get to drive the car. 
Being an Easter person means learning how to see and celebrate the one who is actually driving the car. The empty tomb means that God has put Jesus, the great hope of the world, in the driver's seat. And he's a way better driver. I thought about this a lot this week. Um, do you want to know one of the reasons why I believe in the resurrection? There, I have a lot of reasons. Um, historical reasons and spiritual reasons and theological, like lots of logical reasons that I think the resurrection exists. And if you want to have coffee, we can talk through all those things. Uh, but logic sometimes have a, has a hard time comprehending love. And this week for me, celebration, champagne and dancing in my guts came uh, from love. It came like this. I believe in the resurrection. I believe it's true because, because if this isn't who God is, then I wouldn't be here. I, I wouldn't be here if God was in the business of scrapping what is used and broken and busted and confused and useless, then I have no business standing on this stage. And, and neither does Brad or Daniel or Evie. I didn't, sorry. <laughs> we have no business being here. If God is the kind of God who scraps things when, when they get confused and scraps things when they get busted and scraps things when they become less useful, then, then we would never be up here. You would not believe the dead places that live in my life. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. I have so many broken places and busted places and dark places and dead places that have threatened to take me out. I have, I have so many doubts and insecurities and reasons that I should be entirely useless to the God who made the whole world, but he didn't scrap me. Or Daniel, or Brad, or you. He didn't scrap us. We still, I get to stand on this stage because we're Easter people. Because we believe that God is in the business of redemption and renewal and, and resurrection. And so on the other side of death and destruction and defeat in our lives is healing. And it is hope. We believe in the God of new days and fresh starts and do-overs. <laughs> the one who puts things back together and makes dead things alive. I get to stand up here because pain and destruction and confusion and depression and anxiety and loneliness, they didn't get the final say in my life. They do not get the final say in my life. They are no longer driving the car. They're still in it and they're very annoying <laughs> and loud. Anxiety, man, it sits in the back seat and doubt sits in the back seat and more pain than I would ever tell you sits in the back seat, but they don't get to drive and they sure as heck don't get to pick out my music because it would be <laughs> BTS or Justin Bieber or something. <laughs> no offense, you pick your own music. The band can come on up speaking of. <laughs> it's probably a good time. So church, here is the good news of Easter. It is my job to remind you that there are new days. There are fresh starts, do-overs are possible. That's the story of the cross and the story of Easter. New days, fresh starts, and do-overs. I think some of us need to remember that today. We need to remember that we can be going in one direction and then turn around and go in the other direction. It's called repentance. It's actually a really good thing. It gets a bad name. 
And, and this, I don't know, as I was writing, I felt like maybe this is the Holy Spirit. I don't know. There, I think that there are some of us who are being driven around by things that do not deserve the final word in our life. And I feel like on Easter, if there's any day to like proclaim freedom from the darkness, it's today, right? And for the next 50, we might as well get on a roll. Here, here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus means that depression does not drive your car anymore and anxiety does not drive your car anymore and anger and doubt and fear and guilt and shame, they don't get to drive the car. There's good news. The resurrection of Jesus means that these things do not have the final say in your life. You know why? Because Paul tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It lives in you and it lives in me and it works in us and it rebuilds what has been destroyed inside us and it replants what has gone dry and empty inside us. The message of Easter, it's simple. It's this, God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming for you and he's relentless. Nothing stops him, not even death. We're gonna take a few minutes. We do this every week too. And, and um, we're just gonna be quiet. We call it Selah. And it's, we just stole that word from the Psalms because we're better to steal a word. And it just means this quiet, holy pause. Because it, it, in the Psalms, the, you, there would be a verse and then you'd see the word Selah and it means don't move on too fast from here. And so my Easter gift to you is a few minutes to be quiet. <laughs> There'll be verses on the screen. You can follow along if that's helpful, but let's just sit here for a minute. I wanna pray for us and then we'll sit here and then we'll do communion. God, again, we ask you to come near. We ask you to help us be the kind of people that see and acknowledge and feel even the dark and the difficult and the dead in this world, to be people who hear about bombings of human beings and, and, and are crushed for them. To be the kind of people who see the difficult in our own lives, who learn how to feel it, but who do not give it the final word. Will you give us the, the courage and strength to be people who are able to see beyond the difficult, beyond the news? who are able to see the life that exists on the other side of death. And at the same time that we're people that are able to feel the hard and difficult of this world, will you also make us the kind of people who can celebrate that you became alive? Will you put champagne and dancing and water splashing everywhere into our guts? We learn how to be people who can show up at the grave morning and run away laughing Easter people. 